From X City Magazine, I'm Dylan Thompson, and this is Behind the Byline, the podcast where we do a deep dive into what makes a story work, speaking with journalists about some of their most noteworthy articles to find out exactly how each piece came together. Today's guest is Matt Dathan, a political correspondent for The Sun who exposed the healthcare scam that cost the NHS 200 million pounds over the last 10 years. Applying for a number of European health insurance cards under fake names, Dathan proved just how easy it was for fraudsters to rip off the government. My name is Matt Dathan. I'm the political correspondent for The Sun. So I work in Westminster um, reporting on day-to-day developments in UK politics, which is uh, very lively at the moment. (laughs) And so how did you come about this story about the NHS health scam to begin with? Yes, well, I um, I was past a whistleblower who used to work in the NHS Business Authority, Services Authority, which is the organisation, the NHS organisation that um, oversees the application process for these cards. And um, this whistleblower um, told me that during his time working there, I think he worked there for about 10 years, um, the checks that, were, that took place were basically non-existent. And he was basically there just to uh, meet targets and... Um, Whenever he raised these issues with his bosses, he was told just to get on with his job and it was above his pay grade. And they had way too many applications to um, have to worry about the uh, checks. So um, he became very frustrated at this. And then um, the final time he, was, he raised it, he said that he was told that, look, if, you, um, if you're going to carry on causing trouble, you know, basically your job is on, under, on the line. Um, he eventually quit. He said he was kind of forced out. So he got in touch with me and told me about um, the lack of checks on these cards, told me how easy it was, um, showed me a card that he had obtained using the details, um, well, fake details, and the name was Fake Ehick. So I then um, checked it myself um, within 10 days, got my own card back with the completely made-up details and realised it was true. Um, then I pitched it to my news desk, and my news desk said, uh, great story, um, uh, and also the details of the whistleblower, his est- estimates of how much this, um, this could cost, the costing taxpayers, and how big a loophole this was, and how, you know, basically for, um, uh, basically how people could be applying for these cards who weren't eligible for them, and then using them in hospitals abroad uh, at the cost of the UK taxpayer. My desk then came back and said, um, "Why don't you go and try and get cards for you know all these um, big name politicians just to prove and embarrass the government as much as possible." Uh, so I went and got um, cards in the names of Theresa May, Jeremy Hunt, the House Secretary, Boris Johnson, even Donald Trump, and within 10 days, I think even quicker than 10 days, they came back. And so um, the story was there, really. And um, So it was it's great feeling when you have you have an idea, or in this case, you were told a loophole, and you test it out, and it actually, you know, the story works. And it's even better feeling, actually, uh, when government come back and admit they... Um, admit the loophole is, is wrong and criminal and they do something about it because journalism is all about really uh, is the wider goal of journalism is to try and I don't know I guess make society better or um, uh, you know public service kind of role and that was um, it's good when you you can see the effect of your stories making a difference on public policy and now the loophole's been closed well they say it has yeah, and I mean, that's the thing with the story is, you know, it's not that you just investigate it. You, like you said, you got all these cards. I think you ultimately got, what's like 13 cards or something? Yeah, I have um, them here, actually. Yeah, so you do, okay. Yeah. Oh, this is fantastic, yeah. Actually, and, I don't have, it's not good <laughs> for radio, but... Uh, yeah. No, but, but yeah. just so, so we know, I mean, yeah, like you said, you know, they're in sort of traditional 
political correspondent fashion, you got a Theresa May one, a Donald Trump one. Yeah. Um, I mean, what was that sort of like for you? I mean, there is sort of this interplay. I, I like how there's sort of a sense of humor about the way you conducted as well as sort of the very seriousness of tackling the yeah. issue. What, what was kind of that, you know, idea like talking to your editors about, oh, yeah, let's get these politicians in there as well? Yeah, I mean, the, so working for The Sun is all about, I mean, I mean, all, all newspapers is all about trying to communicate to your audience. And so to basically how best to report a story um, uh, and make it as big an impact as possible and explain it to our readers. And the best way to explain this massive loophole was to show that I could get a card in the name of Donald Trump. <laughs> and that just just completely shows that, you know, someone who is completely obvious, just, you know, should come up in any human check in that would, would surely think, hang on a minute, why is there an application of Donald Trump, Theresa May, um, <laughs> proves that it's a, it's not a human check in it. It, you know, it, it really just shows our readers how easy it was. And also Donald Trump is obviously someone who's just obviously not eligible for um, access to the NHS, yeah. <laughs> actively hates the NHS. In fact. Um, so that was the perfect one. And when that comes through the post, it's quite funny. And um, yeah, because I had to get it delivered back home. So my housemates were, were, qu- were quizzing me why I was getting posted in the name of Donald Trump. But, uh, um, they thought I was a, a spy I was working for the US government or something. But no, that's the, you know, in tabloids, you, you have to, I mean, every newspaper, you have to be creative, but in tabloids especially, because it's all about how to um, make the best impact in the newspaper, um, how to really shock our, shock our readers and um, basically just have some fun, really. And that, this story was, was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I mean, you know, with that, like you said, you know, you get one in the name of Donald Trump, it's like any reasonable person would immediately realize that this is ridiculous. Yeah. Is that when you sort of realized kind of this, the scope of this, of how kind of wide reaching this was, how easy this scam was? Yeah. It, you know, it's exactly what the whistleblower, whistleblower said. He said, it's all um, done by computers. But the, the odd thing about that is that um, such an easy fix would be, um, it, it exposes the lack of joined up government. So I was applying th- to the NHS now, the NHS only needs to do one simple cross-check with, um, you know, HMRC or DWP to cross-check the NHS number or your national insurance number to realise that this person doesn't exist. Um, it just exposes, really. So it, it exposes the lack of... I mean, it's, it happens across government. Um, apart from work conventions, don't have the access always to the HMRC details, despite the fact that they're, you know, two massive government departments. So... You know, any human would have spotted it, but any computer should easily be able to spot it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, with all this, it sort of sounds like everything, you know, came together really well. But, I mean, were there any sort of parts of this that were really challenging to put, get together? Were there any points where you're sort of like, oh, I don't, I don't know if, you know, maybe this will pan out the way I thought it was going to? Or Yes, because um, obviously um, when you pitch your stories to the desk, they want they come back with lots of questions and say, well, how much is this, cost, is this costing? Um how many cars have we have we, you know, accidentally um, issued? Um, and what was difficult was the fact that I was um, submitting lots of freedom of information requests to the Department of Health and the NHS, and they would just come back saying, "We don't know, we don't know, we don't know, we don't have this information," which obviously exposes the problem that they don't know how many cars they're issuing, fake cars are issuing. Um, that's what I was trying to expose. But um, yeah, trying to get a, trying to put a, you know, as you say, the scope of it, trying to guess or at least, yeah, trying to put a number on, on the scope of the, um, the scam, the loophole was quite hard. But with the help of um, freedom, of, freedom of information requests on how many cards we issue, which is around about five million a year, which alarm bells should have been re- raised earlier because in the last 10 years of these cars existing, we've issued about 54 million cards. 
there's, the population of the UK is only, what, 60 million, 64 million. Um, so we should have been kind of, you know, um, alarm bells should have been raised, raised there, really. Um, but then with that figure, we were able to then to, and then with the estimates we were given by the whistleblower and using other FOIs into the cost of, um, you know, how much these cars cost to issue, but also the cost um, to the NHS of these being used abroad, we were able to make a guesstimate of around about £20 million a year cost of this scam. But because um, we worked out that um, on average, um, the NHS pays out about £19 pounds, um, every year for um, claims uh, by European hospitals for people who have these British-issued cards when they're abroad. And so once the story finally comes out and, you yeah. know, you have this, this total number attached to it as well, you know, something like £200 million pounds that it costs yeah. um, and just, just the past 10 years, right? Yeah, £20 million pound a year, £200 million pound altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what was it like sort of seeing kind of the effects of this once you'd actually reached the story? And also, like I said, you um, your investigation is now used uh, on a course at City as well to yeah. teach people about the power of sort of freedom of information requests as well. So what's it been like sort of seeing the aftermath now that the pieces come out? No, it was great, apart from the, the picture they used of me. It was a, <laughs> uh, made me look like some kind of magician or game, ho- game host, TV game host. But um, no, it's great to, um, because I remember I was only at City five years ago. Um, and uh, I remember um, thinking, oh, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to go out there. And I, um, I remember Heather Brook, um, you know, teaching us about um, how, to, how to use FOI to, to investigate stories. Um, and you know lots of other techniques we learned, and I was thinking I just can't wait to get out there, and because the thing with investigative journalism is it it's really um, demands creativity and um, thinking outside the box, because if you were because if um, so, you know if if this was obvious then you know this is quite an obvious scam, but if, if this was obvious then but it would have been closed. So it's about thinking it's about thinking about thinking outside the box, thinking about things that maybe people haven't kind of thought before. Um, but yeah, to be able to go out there and investigate um, my own stories. I mean, a lot of stories don't come off, you know. You investigate tons of stories. Uh, you put time and effort into them. But um, when one comes off, it's um, it's great. And it's great to... Um, uh, it's great having been at City and learnt about former students getting great investigations. It's great, to, you know, <laughs> when one comes off yourself. Yeah. And I mean, do you think that investigative journalism has gotten more important or less important, or do you think it's sort of been the same since, you know, maybe you were learning about it to now? I mean, like you said, you're sort of, you know, it's this process where sometimes things can't pan out, but when it does, obviously there can be a massive effect from something like yeah. this. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's a great question because um, I only watched The the Post, the new film, Tom Hanks' film um, on Sunday um, about the Pentagon Papers and then obviously, and then after that, Watergate. And those are the kind of big t- points in history and very inspiring. But it, it really shows you that in you know what's at stake in these investigations you know people could have gone to jail you know the journalists put their lives on, on the line I mean obviously it's nothing to do with that but um, you know, people could could have gone to jail the journalists could have gone to jail um, the owner of the post could have gone to jail the whole paper was at stake but they were so committed to um, in you know to their jobs of holding the government and the power to account that they were willing to do it and it came through and I think um in this age of Donald Trump, it's more important than ever, obviously, that investigative journalism is given the resources. But I think it is really under threat. You know, The resources given to investigative journalists at newspapers, I think um, what I've seen is, has declined. Um, the pressure to get um, stories in the newspaper every single day for journalists 
is also um, massive. If you, you know, back in the day, I remember talking to one, you know, great Fleet Street legend, um, still working now, um, said that he hadn't got to byline in the paper for a year at, at one point when he was, invest he was investigating. But, you know, his editor didn't mind because he knew that he was working hard and to get the next massive investigation. And if you are, you know, like my job, for example, day to day is quite stressful. You're, um, you, you don't have um, that much time to spend on long term projects. Um, which is understandable. It shows you the pressure of getting news 24 hours a day. Um, and, you know, if you go a day without getting a story, then that's bad. Um, so, yeah, we definitely need to make sure that investigative journalism is, 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 um, is still there in sort of five, ten years' time. Um, and hopefully, maybe we'll have a, um, you know, a Watergate-sized um, scandal to look back on in five, ten years' time um, with Donald Trump. You've been listening to Behind the Byline. Make sure to tune in next week for more insights about how it takes a great journalist to make a great story. I've been Dylan Thompson, and thanks for listening.